You are now checked in to Stand Up New York Labs. Oh, yeah. It's time for the End of Conversation Podcast with funny man Damian Lemon. Crazy East Dominican, you know, Vladimir Camayo. My cool man from the county of D, Ali Muhammad. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in the conversation. That's what's happening. Minus uh, Mr. D. Lemon. D. Lemon's on the west side. West Coast, he's out there doing his thing. West Project. side, especially in the winter. He's out there, no jacket, living life. But it's your boy Vlad- Vladimir Camaño, el Capitan. And uh, your boy Ali in the building. We are here uh, in New York City, man. Freezing out there, Ali, today. Yeah, that's what winter do. Cold out there, dog. Winter will freeze. I bought a uh, space heater, man. Why? Um, apartment was cold, man. <laughs> uh, so you went. You was like, which one did you get? Like, dude, I'm old, literally old lady kind. I know. I got a. I got a. I got a one bedroom, right? And my girl and I were literally being held captive in the bedroom mm. because the space is big enough to heat up that room, but it mm. can't heat up the whole apartment. So we're literally held captive in the bedroom. So why don't you get two? Electricity bills. We're worried about that. That's not gonna kill you. I mean, my man said, my boy said that he bought one for the living room and he ended up paying a hundred dollars extra per per month every time he has that thing on. Really? Yeah, that's terrible. So, um, you know, so I mean, but I went to Best Buy and the space heaters were sold out. I was thinking about buying an extra one, but even then they were sold out. They were like, dude, everybody's been freezing in New York. They sold out. Right. So. So is it working out? Yeah, this little one is doing his thing in the bedroom. <laughs> I know that sounds very innuendo, pause. but I know pause, right? It's a little one. <laughs> no, I'm not the little one, by the way. I'm not. No, no, it works, though. Yeah, it works good, like, man. I mean, if you're worried about your electric bill, electric blankets work. You serious? Yeah, they're dope. Does a battery operator, you got to plug them I in. Plug them in. But then what happens if you want to, you want to like, you know, you want to move, you want to express yourself differently. What you mean? Like, you want to get up and go to the bathroom. You got to keep that thing on yourself, like... No, you fucking get up and go to the bathroom. What the fuck? You gonna take the blanket to the bathroom? I never had an electric blanket. You look. I mean, in my it's life. just it's just some shit. Like you know, what I'm saying you want to be warm and you sleep and it's fucking cold in your room. Turn on the electric blanket and you're gonna be warm. You got one? Yeah. You been using it? Not this year. I'll but pay last, money to see last year, you. Last year, last year we used it. I'll pay money to see an electric blanket. No, 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 no. I would love to see that. Dade fuck, County. What the fuck is this? Dade County, Miami. <laughs> this is like a regular fucking quilt. See you snuggled up in that electric blanket. <laughs> oh, no, definitely be snuggled up in that motherfucker. Snuggles. <laughs> Mr. Muhammad Snuggles. That's hilarious. Even the hardest dude, man, is going to get caught up in that cold. That cold will get you. Yeah, that cold ain't, ain't nothing to play with, man. So don't, ain't, can't be too bad to get under electric warmth. <laughs> You bought that old lady space heater. <laughs> I did get the old lady space heater. Absolutely. I, I totally did, dog. I totally did, dog. But uh, things are good, Ali. So what's happening out there uh, in the world, man? I had an interesting conversation with a friend of mine. Dude. We were talking about... Uh, and the funny thing is, there's actually there's an article today in the Times about it, but I had this conversation with my boy. We were talking about um, the campaign called you know, Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And then there's been this whole counter movement about all lives matter. Mm-hmm. And we were saying, though that though that may be true, it's almost like it's... It's trivializing what Black Lives Matter means and what it stands for. Mm-hmm. We get it that all lives matter, but this is a particular emphasis on the way black bodies are being treated right. in the public space. Right. And I uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on that, what you thought about that. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, man, everybody's going to have a voice. Everybody's going to chime in and everybody's going to have their point of view. So at the end of the day, it, it brings in... When you bring any movement, you know what I'm saying, and everybody 
adds their own opinion to it. So if it's women's rights and at first it be- became, you know, one thing and then it's, you know, all women, then it's, you know, you it's all all the different movements joining into one. So, I mean, as a group, as a group of people that's that's looking out for whatever interest they're looking out for, you have to stand strong in your own position. You know what I'm saying? So where it's all one movement in these in the uh, segments of the movement, you have to stand strong in each segment in order for it to work. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I don't think it's trivializing it as, you know, from the inside. I mean, when you look sit back on the outside, it may look like that. But on the inside, when everybody's trying to make their point, you know what I'm saying? I think it all helps because it, it becomes, you know, a bigger movement. But in the segments, you have to stand strong. So if it's Black Lives Matter on the black side of things, we have to stand strong on that. You know what I mean? If it's all lives matters and we all together, then, you know what I'm saying, if all the segments are working and all the, the pistons are firing at once, then, you know what I'm saying, it, it works out. Because for me, this is reminiscent to me when people say they're colorblind. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm colorblind, I just see people. But to me, that truncates, you know, people's personality, people's identity. Like mm-hmm. me that I'm Latino, right? I mean, I'm a human being. But to discount Latino from who I am, that's like part and parcel to who it's who I am. But, but that's what I'm saying. That's your segment. So you right. have to stand strong in your segment. Everybody not going to see that shit like that. You know what I'm saying? Because everybody that didn't live where you live and came from where you came right. from. You know what I'm saying? So the, the, everybody's point of view not going to be the same. Period. Yeah, I just I think I think there's a little denial when people. But say. but in execution, you know what I'm saying? You still see the execution of of how things play out. So if you look at if you look at what's happening in in Paris, right, and all of those lives matter, right. But then we look at what's happening in Nigeria, and then you know it's, it's not the same thing. Correct, which is also, you know, there was another... Uh, but but that has nothing to do with the hashtag, you know what I'm saying? That has something to do with how the world is operating. And if that's to change, then all segments got to stand where they believe. So you're saying the responsibility is on the segment? That's where it starts. Okay. You know what I'm saying? It, it's, that's where it starts. If you want to make noise, it's a, you know, you got to make noise. You know what I mean? It's not going to... You're not going to gain everybody's approval or move everybody to your your point of view and seeing the things the way you see it when everybody's just operating on status quo well this how it is i fall on the good side so shit i'm good you know what i mean because even you know it's funny because obama got called out because he didn't show up to paris mm-hmm. but um the same call to action wasn't wasn't made for the other scenario right well you know who called him out uh, daily, the, the Post, the Daily News, I believe. Right, but then, you know what I'm saying, so who's calling out on this side, ain't you? know what I'm saying? What's the Nigerian Post? Right, right, right. Um, But it's just, <laughs> to me, it's, it's a subtext of something deeper, you know? I mean, it's the subtext of how the world operates at this point in on the timeline of history. That's, that's where it's at. So if any changes to make, be made, it's, it's going to be made on the ground first. It's going to be made in the segments first. But then on the flip side, you do see more of uh, attention being paid to uh, different narratives, though. You and I were discussing earlier about, uh, for example, on the TV side, we have Selma now. We have a lot more media being paying attention to different kinds of storytelling. Well, I think, you know, that's a whole different thing. And, and, and what's going on in media, it's just, you know, there's different voices that's cropping up. You know what I mean? And <clears throat> in, in that space, you know. It, it opens up different opportunities for each of the segments to speak their piece, you know what I mean? So, so like, you know, for for a lot of years, you know, it was always, you know, there's not a lot of opportunities and not a lot of black stories on, on TV. 
It's not a lot of diversity on TV. But um, And then those black stories are told within a certain range for the most part. They've been told within a certain range. Right. And I think now it's opening up a whole lot more, you know what I'm saying, with, with what Shonda Rhimes is doing, where, you know, you have different shows that's popping up that's, you know, speaking to different audiences. We was talking about this earlier, how even with what Shonda Rhimes is doing, she's opening up a demographic that, you know, has been totally ignored. You know what I mean? It's not exclusively her demographic, but when you're talking about black women 35 to 50, you know what I'm saying? That's pretty much been a totally ignored market in pop culture. You know what I'm saying? So with what she's doing, she's activating the audience that that everybody ignored. You know what I'm saying? So when you look online, you see all these grown women talking about her shows with the the uh, excitement and the engagement that they are. You know what I'm saying? That You didn't see that before. You might have heard it at work at the water cooler. You know what I'm saying? You might have seen it in your house with, with your aunts talking. But she's activating that audience, which opens up a whole lot of opportunity in that space. You know what I mean? That that opens up a lot of jobs for older actresses that, you know, didn't it wasn't a lot of work out there for them. It was always went young. You right. Know what I'm and then you got shows like Power coming up now. You got Power. Empire. Yeah, Empire, Blackish, you know what I'm saying? So there's a lot of opportunities for for storytelling. Now, um last night we went to see Rob Hardy the director Rob Hardy from Rainforest Films, Stomp the Yard, he's executive producer on Thing Like a Man, was partners with Will Packer for a lot of years. Um, he does this thing called um, Rob Hardy's Amazing Stories. He basically tells his life story, and and he brings in, you know, all the anecdotes from his life, from a kid all the way through to how he became a director and how he broke through. and <clears throat> And a lot of what he was talking about is just, you know, taking the chance and, you know, taking the chance on your own uh, creativity and your own ideas. And for him, it worked, you know what I'm saying? But a lot of times people don't think about it that way. You know, they everybody's rushing to the traditional route. You know, everybody's rushing to get in line to be on TV when there's many opportunities to tell your stories just to get going, you know? And, you know, they talk about how he raised money to do his first movie in high school, you know what I mean? Where the school gave him $800 to shoot a movie in. And that's been his trajectory. So he always understood it to be that way. And then at a certain point, he had to shift gears and start, you know, working, collaborating within other companies and not just being his own company all the time. So with the stuff, what he's doing with TV, he's in town now directing Empire. Power. Empire. No, power. no, Power. 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 He, did, power. he did the premiere episode of Empire, but now he's here doing Power. So, in that in itself, it's just, you see a lot of motion, you know what I'm saying? It's not there yet, it's not, you know, it's not where it should be, it's not where it's going to be, but it really shows that there's motion, it's similar to the 90s. So, when I was looking, I was watching this uh, Death Row documentary online, it's like an older one, it's like, but it was very thorough. And um, it just reminded me of how much stuff was popping off in the 90s as far as black culture, hip-hop culture. You had, you know, Martin. You had, you know, all of the— Living Color. And Living Color, all the independent labels that was coming out at the time. Um, so it was very, it was very um, fertile ground at that time. And that's, you know, that was the time when I'm just coming into things, you know what I'm saying, and just being able to do things. So I see the same thing that's going on right now. It's in the opposite. It's in a different space. 
it's not where you know necessarily that the hip hop is bringing the new fertile ground. It's still there. It's still doing its thing, but that is now become the mass media almost. That was like back then the mass media was being forced down your throat, and it was you know rock and roll, R and B, and hip hop was still on the periphery. Right. So I think now hip hop now is is the mass. It's the mainstream mass stuff that's being pumped at you every day, and you have these other voices coming out. And telling different kinds of stories with Selma, with, you know, what, what Ava's been able to do over the last few years. You know what I'm saying? Middle of nowhere. You know what I'm saying? Just even with her, you know, it was short she did with a, with a fashion brand. You know what I mean? It's just she's been in her lane doing her thing and use, utilizing the, the web and independent resources to actually get things done. And I think that's the big opportunity right now. Lee Daniels with 12 Years a Slave. Um, Shonda Rhimes on the production side. Mm-hmm. Um, but even even if you look at Issa Rae and Aqua Issa Rae, right, you know what I'm right. saying, and, and what she did to open up and activate a market that that no one knew was there, and she totally activated, and that's why Deshonda Rhimes tapped her, and that's why you know what I'm saying the other day she's on on the internet she has a picture with Oprah at the office like yeah yeah I'm doing my thing it's going down Oprah would always be a great picture picture to be with yeah especially if it looked like a meeting you trying to get some likes you get a picture of Oprah man you, like, you get some a whole lot of likes you got the green light you know <laughs> <laughs> so I mean I think I think a lot of this you know what I'm saying women in the, in the black space a lot of women are making the moves because when you look at social media they're the most vocal. They're the most excitable. You know what I'm saying? They're the most, they, they're the ones talking about this stuff more and generating, you know what I'm saying, the excitement. And you can't discount that for nothing because they're the ones making these shows go to the top. They're the ones making these shows number you one. You think men of color aren't as, as uh, proactive when it comes to stuff like that? Nah, not social media. It's just not. It's almost set up more better for women. I've said this before. I have a tough time liking some things. I'll be honest, as a male of color, I, I, my, my thumbs a little, you know little hesitant. You slow with you yeah, slow. I'm, slow. With the I'm thumb. a little hesitant. I, yeah, I don't like really pull very, that trigger. Very lurkish. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> don't want to be like too many things. You don't want to be out there too much. You my know ego I mean? gets in the way. Exactly. You know, what I'm saying that, and it's just like, you know, for me, I look at it. I'm not as versed in being as expressive about what I feel about things, you know what I'm saying? So I think, you know what I'm saying, just how society was laid out, it seems that women were more expressive about their feelings and men, you know, we hold that shit in a little more. So on on the internet, it seems like they lead the way, but the interesting thing is when you see dudes talking about the things that women talk about and it gets kind of weird. Like when you see your boys on there, yeah, the housewives, and did you see such and such, slap such and such, ha, ha, ha. And you're like, damn, dog, that's what it came to. Which is interesting, those types of shows, the range they show people of color in. Right. The reality side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, do you th- I don't think that's changing though. Like on the reality side of things, I think people of color, for the most part, is there is overly dramatic, this ratchet kind of, you know, there's I mean, not a complex storytelling yet on that side of the fence. I mean, when you when you look at reality, it's not ratchet just in black. Ratchet, it's in, rea- across ratchet the board, right? in reality go together. Hand honey boo boo, honey boo boo. You know what I mean? It's 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 showing you these very um, polarizing storylines that really draw people in. It's intriguing to see. Like I mean. <clears throat> 
when gang- was, when gangster music first came out, it had the same effect. It's like damn, what NWA. The fuck? You know what I'm saying? It's like what the fuck? And you you it was very polarizing. So it was it was interesting to look into a life that you would never be a part of. I guess my question is: Is there a space within reality television to have nuanced storytelling without people getting bored and, and like, you know what? I'm a I might as well watch a documentary. Well, you know, you don't know until you try. It. So. You know what I'm saying? Network TV is going to do what works. You know what I'm saying? They're not going to know what works until somebody tries that shit. Nobody would have taken the chance on reality TV if it wasn't for like a real world. You know what I'm saying? And real world was out the blue with it. Just put put a, you know what I'm saying, a pseudo reality thing together and exploded. Because I think what, you know what harms a lot of good storytelling, at least on the what we're talking about is that this is even in comedy dog there's this thing where you always got to find the beats mm-hmm. what are the beats mm-hmm. and you play for the beat rather than for the story right and I think uh, you know I saw Selma uh, last week like I told you about mm-hmm. and I don't know it just it just felt like the, the there wasn't necessarily beats it was more like a harmonious blend of just like moments right and I think with with us sometimes with uh, this is this is this is forced element. Like we got to find the beats. While you see reality shows, they got writers on those shows, mm-hmm. and they got to force this drama. Right. But do you think that uh, the market has changed? Like we want to see actual dynamic storytelling. I mean, I think I think that that want is always out there. But then you know, at the end of the day, somebody watches that shit. You know what I'm saying? The, the want, I may want something, you know what I'm saying, healthy and nutritious, but right now I'm going over here to get me some McDonald's because I'm hungry right now. And that's what keeps that shit on the air because motherfuckers is watching it. Do, do, do you take, this is an odd question, I hate, but do you take any pleasure in watching Ratchet White People? I really, I mean, yeah. like for balance. Like when you see Duck Dynasty, like you know what this is. This is good for balance. I, I've never watched Duck Dynasty, but I never. Well, you know watched, what's there? I never watched the full episode of Housewives either. So I mean, like Atlanta Housewives, you mean? And, yeah, Atlanta and leaks and all that. I mean, well, yeah, the other ones don't matter because Atlanta is the number one one. Well, they got Orange County. I think they got the <laughs> yeah, other Yeah, but ones. Atlanta is the number one <laughs> one. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Those shits are there, but when you talk about the reality shows. Atlanta Housewives is number one. Atlanta I Love w- and Hip Hop is number one. I want to ask you this, man, because within with I know ratchet people that I know personally. Uh-huh. And, you know, I was watching a show uh, with my girl one time, I think watching the Housewives or whatever it is. And as much as I don't want to see my own people displayed like that, mm-hmm. there's a certain familiarity there sometimes that I'm like, you know what, this this also shouldn't be discounted from, right. from storytelling as right. either. And see what I what I'm saying is I don't I don't say, hey, let's let's take all that ratchet shit off the TV because that, you know, that's not right. But I'm saying is what you need is balance. You know what I'm saying? What you need is a choice. You know what I'm saying? It's the same thing in hip hop. Just like, you know, young thug, young thug, young thug, young thug, rich homie Quan. And then, but you know, since no balance. So like say when all the gangster shit was popping off, you had NWA and and Ice-T and all that shit, but you still had Tribe and then you had this and you had Luke and then you had, you know, Ghetto Boys. It was more of a a balanced ecosystem of of shit. Like you might go ratchet for for your first two hours of the day and then go go conscious, you know what I'm saying, all through the middle and then go Luke at at the club. You know? So you had you had options. You had a balance. choice. You, you had, had choice. balance. You know what I'm saying? It's balanced with places where you can go. Um I think, you know, I think there is um an offering of balance now, you know what I'm saying, with these other kind of dramatic shows. You know what I mean? So you don't just have Housewives and real and love and hip hop. 
You know what I'm saying? You do have, you know, some other options, you know, scandal and blah, 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 how to get away with murder and empire power. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're blackish. You know, you're getting different options and different looks and you take your choice. You know what I'm saying? You pick your poison and go with it. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, it, it, it would be a, a lie to say that people weren't interested in that ratchet shit. That would be a motherfucking That's lie. That's what I'm saying because. Because you know people always say, hey, why don't we do more of this and more positive that? You know what I'm saying? But if you are a researcher and you go search Twitter and you just watch what people really talk about and what people are really engaged in, that ratchet shit going to over-index. And you be like, why? If you're a producer, you're going to be like, why wouldn't I motherfucking make some shit for that audience that's that excitable and that engaged? Or do you think, because you know, I've been having a lot of conversations about this, or do you think the problem with ratchet storytelling is that they don't give the ratchetness context, where they don't give it a sense? Like, did you see Fruitvale? Uh-uh. Fruitvale Station, you know, it was a movie about... Uh, yeah, yeah, I know what it's about. Oscar they, Grant. They, they, they didn't show him as a saint. Mm-hmm. They definitely showed him as he was, according to right. you know what they researched. But I think you were almost not mad at it because by the end of the picture, this dude was a full person. Yeah, but that's a movie. You got right. You, you know got time saying? to. You got two hours, and it's you gonna you gonna have the beginning, middle, end. You know what I'm saying? Capsulated in the one and a half hours, two hours that you got. Reality TV, they need to keep you coming back every week with some shit. They don't. They, they ain't got no time for context. It's, you learn the context as you go. You know, such and such is gonna be this way, and such and such is gonna be that way. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I don't have. I don't have no beef with reality TV. I have a beef that you know you don't have the options, and and you know you you can't tell people what they like and don't like. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because people say- gonna like ratchet shit. I like I I keep an index of white ratchetness though. It, I, I gotta keep the catalog. What's, make, your, what's your white ratchet? Um, I remember the first favorite. time I saw the the fighter. Uh huh. You know Mark Wahlberg and they showed the the Boston cast, the white Boston cast, just you know just being ratchet, being just. It was like you know what well, this is good for the archives. So right, you right, have right. it, you know, for balance, so you can see it ain't just my people. No doubt, acting crazy out here. No doubt, and that, you know, the fighters T- are excellent. TMZ movie. give you a good balance of of all Absolutely. ratchet, <laughs> <laughs> ratchet network, all ratchet. And uh, what's the other one that's white ratchet all the time? The dirty. Yeah, you see the dirty. The dirty dot com. They just like they just put ratchet like war star yeah, hip hop. Yeah, kind of like that. You know, because this is gonna sound funny, dude. I live in Brooklyn now, right? Mm-hmm. And my neighborhood is predominantly Hasidic Jews, so it's a very quiet neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I went back to visit my dad in the Bronx. My dad is in the Bronx. Kind of, it's a hood area. And I got there, dude. I got to tell you, there was so much nostalgia. You know, I stayed the night. There was dogs barking outside. Mm-hmm. A couple gunshots felt, went off. Felt comfortable. I was, I was like, this, this. Although this is quote unquote ratchet, there was a sense of just like I'm back. Right. Uh, you, know. you know, I knew the neighborhood. I kid, they, they saw me in the block. Yo, I was like, you know, they but, make noises when they see you. Cuckoo! Like that was. But it's a thing, man. It is the thing, man. When you outside of it and you're looking at it. You know what I'm saying? Through just an outside perspective, it's all gonna look crazy because it's not your culture. You know what I'm saying? When you go, when you step aside of any culture, you're gonna find some crazy shit. You know what I'm saying? You could go and be around the most prestigious people in America, and you can be like, damn, they doing some, you know what I'm saying? That's some regular shit right there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that motherfucker <laughs> is getting fucked up over there, and that is not his wife, but he grabbing them titties. 
You know what I'm saying? This is ratchet not, shit. Not even discreet. Yeah, in a prestigious up. environment. It's just all richness around you, and you just like, wait a minute. That shit right there is crazy. That shit happens everywhere, but when you're sitting on the outside, you're able to evaluate it from this other perspective. When you're in it, you're just in it. This, this culture, it just goes on day to day. You know what I mean? It's true, man, because I, I think that maybe that, that exists within every space. Yeah. But I, I felt the dog. I was in that. I was back home, and I was like, this is great. Did you want to move back? Nah, not like that. <laughs> you didn't want to stay. I, I, I mean, it was it was nice though, man. Even the, even the, the bodega, the corner store, like you know, uh, my man in there, you know, the little dude behind the counter, he knew me, he knew what I wanted. Like, and you know, we, we kicked it back in Spanish and English. That combination, mm-hmm. it was like as quote unquote ratchet as it was. It was beautiful. Right, there was some poetic that, about that, it. That was that was your that was your space. Like, yeah, you know what I'm man. Miami got all lot of lots of ratchet, you know what I'm saying? But that's that's what what I grew up in. That's that's my space, you know what I'm saying? Not that I want to stay in it, but I I recognize I understand it. It's a it's a dialect and a language that that's familiar, you know what I'm saying? That I'm a part of and that you know that I don't live in, but I can see it and even if I see it from afar, I I could understand it, you know what I mean? I understand all of it. It's beautiful. <laughs> I love it, dog. I love it. I'm actually, I gotta, I gotta make a trip back at some point. <laughs> back to my roots. You know what I'm saying? But you know, it's exciting times to actually take those stories and make things happen with them. You know what I mean? Take that experience and make something happen with it. You know what I mean? And and that's how people get to understand these things. And but at the same time, somebody will be mad. Like look at Vlad making all the. Hispanics look ratchet. Well, you know, I try to. They get well, you, making the Bronx look bad. You bring up a good point though, because um, um, as a as a comedian, you know, I talk about my family a lot, my mom, my dad, and all that. I try my hardest to give it context, though. Mm-hmm. You know, which I was trying to uh, kind of ask you earlier about, like the problem with ratchet storytelling is that when you don't give the the ratchetness context, it loses the, the humanity in it. Like, there's a reason my mother tells me, hey, I ain't got no money, but then she says, here's $5 to go gamble. Right. You know, um, my dad pooping with the door open. <laughs> you know, quote-unquote ratchetness, but if you give it context, the humanity comes through. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I try my best to do but I, You know, sometimes I do get on stage and I do question, like, based on who's watching me, are, am I being exotified? Am I being uh, looked at as a caricature? Mm-hmm. You know, but at the same time, I don't want to also truncate my own storytelling. Right. I don't want to reduce my own storytelling. This is my life. You know, what does bother me sometimes, though, is that I'll be telling my story and it gets categorized, quote unquote, as Latino comedy. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of it always bothers me a little bit because I'm like, I'm just talking about family. Mm -hmm. But because it comes off with an accent, all of a sudden he's Latino. He's Latino. Who who categorizes? Who is the categorizing committee? Certain clubs only book you on Latino night. Uh-huh. You know, stuff like that will happen. And I'm like, you know, you, you they tell you to write about what you know, but then when you do, they box you in. Right, right, right. You know, and uh, it's it's the gift and the curse. Right. Because this is what's personal to me. This is what I know. But, and if you met my dad and my mom, they'll pinpoint what I was telling you about. Right. You see what I'm saying? But like I said, I was watching that Death Row documentary, and one thing that uh, Snoop Dogg said in it, it was like, you know, when they were talking about making the chronic, he was like, you know, we just in the studio and we didn't give a fuck. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I love the dead-on impression, too. Like, we you was in the studio. <laughs> you can't give a fuck, man. You know what I'm saying? You got to go absolutely, out there and tell absolutely, your story. Absolutely, man. And, absolutely. and you see what happened to Snoop Dogg. <laughs> Who would ever think he would be on Sesame Street? 
<laughs> when? When was your Sesame Street? <laughs> Go look it up, player. You dead serious? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! I would love to be be in there when they decided that it was they gave the green light for that. You know what I'm saying? It's Snoop Doggy Dog. What the hell was he singing about? No, he was just doing some Sesame Street. Are you shit. serious? Yeah. <laughs> they, I want to be there for the pitch meeting. Yeah, I, mean, so, think, I mean, so you can't be scared of being yourself. You just absolutely you got to just not give a fuck. Absolutely, because when you start giving a fuck, that's when they stop giving a fuck. Right, right, right. You know what I'm saying? All you can do is tell your story, right? How it gets interpreted is up to interpretation. Exactly. You know. But um, I think as a person, as a, as a, as a you know, uh, quote-unquote ethnic artist, mm-hmm. that's the dynamic you always run into. You know what I mean? Like, um, you get boxed in into these little ethnic categories. But at the end of the day, like, as long as you can, as long as you can execute on communicating that these people are human, these are hum- full-blooded human beings, mm-hmm. um, I, think, I think that's, that's, that's all I can aim for. Right. And, I mean, what, what more would you want, man? If you telling the stories that you're supposed to tell, that you want to tell, that feel good, that that nobody else can tell better than you, why would you care? Absolutely. But, you know, that's what I love so much about Selma, dog. Like, I hate going back to that, but she definitely showed King. Um, there's a clip in there where King is just hanging out with his peoples and he's having just lunch. He's just hanging out eating some uh, southern food and he's kicking and just laughing. Mm-hmm. And it was like... You don't get to see that side of King a lot well, at all. You know what I mean? Right. And that's kind of what I aim for too. Is like, how do you show people in in their totality? I think once you do that, it's, it just it scratches everything off. That's your job, man. Absolutely. That's, that's my your job. job. Yeah, that's my you know job. Yeah. So Mona Scott got her job, and she may do love and hip hop, and you know what I'm saying, provide opportunities for her artists in her camp, and you know, and and make exciting TV for some people. Uh, Andy Cohen got his lane. Well, you know, he got the Housewives franchise and all the other stuff that he does. You know what I'm saying? Vlad got his lane, man. Absolutely. You get in it. You get out there. You tell your stories. Ali has to tell his stories, you know what I'm saying, the way he knows. And then what comes first? I mean, at the end of the day, like, it seems like Hollywood is a little more uh, accepting of these stories now because they feel like there's a market for it. Right. Because it's not that they feel. It's proven proven, that there's a market for for these things. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So when you, like you say, you can sit back yourself and research it. You watch Twitter and see what people are talking about. You know what I'm saying? And you see how excited they are about these shows. You, you, you'd be a fool not to give Shonda another show. She's killing them, dog. Grey's Anatomy. She's killing them. You know what I'm saying? You'll be a fool not to reach out to Issa Rae to, to try to tap into some of that grassroots underground next, the next generation of energy. You know what I'm saying? You'll be, you, you, you You'll be, you know, saying remiss. So you had to put yourself in a position to be telling your stories and to be rounding up the people that you speak to. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, that club may put you in a Latino box. But if you're proving that you're drawing your audience in, somebody going to want you on any night because it's like, shit, I want that audience to be buying drinks up in this motherfucker. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think it's. I mean, it falls on the artist. You just got to. You got to tell a full, a full story. You know, yeah. if, you, if I'm talking about my dad's, you know, citizenship issues, I'm gonna give you context for that. Mm-hmm. Why he's that way, or why, what he's, why he's not that way. Right. Um, I think the, I think the market is ready for that kind of dynamic storytelling, like nuanced. I mean, they always been ready. Yeah. You know I mean, it's just a matter of doing it. A lot of people got great ideas. Nobody pulling triggers. Speaking of triggers, 
Pulling triggers. Well, not those kind of triggers. No, 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 no. You're pulling triggers. I think I, I wanted to ask you, Ali, this question last week, man, because I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of us do want to pull triggers. Uh-huh. We do want to get online and YouTube and all that, mm-hmm. but we don't have a sophisticated insight on what equipment to use, what to buy, what to get online with. Does quality matter when you're putting stuff up on YouTube? Is it? I mean, you know what I'm saying? When you, like, sometimes for me, you know what I mean? I've been doing it. And, and working in production over the last four years, just really taking advantage of the new technology that has come out. And, you know what I'm saying, for me, you know what I'm saying, once you're in it and you see a certain way, you see a, the next way to get better. You know what I'm saying? But storytelling, you could do with any fucking thing. You know what I'm saying? That's what people get it twisted. You could tell your story with your phone. It's what divine people are doing. You know what I'm saying? You could tell your story with, with a hundred dollar you know what I'm saying, camera. You could tell your story with a GoPro. Or, you know what I'm saying, and it goes higher and higher. You could go to infinity with how much you spend in, on telling your story. But, you know, you got to go with what you got and where you at with it right now. Me, per se, you know what I'm saying, I see, you know, I came in the game at a time where Canon made this new camera, DSLR camera, and put... Uh, a big ass sensor in and then made so what, the 5D the 5D 7D and they changed the game you know what I'm saying with it and it gave you know somebody with $3,000 the opportunity to make pictures that look like the big screen you know what I'm saying and at the time that was game changing so for me to be able to come in the game at that moment and get that equipment and be able to stand next to, you know, guys that's been doing it for a long time, but they had more dated equipment. It it let me skip the line a little bit and put me ahead of the curve in the business that I was able to generate out of it. And that camera has since, you know what I'm saying, paid for itself a hundred times. Sounds over, right. You know what I'm saying? So now I'm seeing a new generation of cameras that are coming that are um, game changing as well. So it's the next step. Like for where I want to go next, there's a set of cameras that are like, yo, they're giving you options and they're giving you they're giving you things that, you know, were were, you know, what I'm saying were native to thirty thousand dollar cameras. You know, what I'm saying at least nineteen thousand dollar cameras. So they're giving you options like that. And then, you know, they're giving you low light sensitivity that no other cameras giving you right now. And it's crazy with the full sensor. With the with the full sensor, and you turn off the lights in the pitch black, and it looked like evening. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like, yo, that you know, and me being in the game, I can see, I see how I can use that to better what I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? So if I'm shooting, if I'm shooting scenes, and I'm in a club, my biggest nightmare is like, shit, they're gonna lighting, they're gonna turn the lights down too low, and I won't be able to get shit. You know what I'm saying? It was going to be fuzzy, you know what I'm saying? With the Mark III, that it helped you out because you can go up higher. But now, they could turn all the lights off in this motherfucker, and I'm going to still be able to see something. The, the camera is able to... Right. So the camera is able to... You know, the sensitivity of the uh, camera is able to give you good resolution and very, very low light. And this is the A7, correct? That's the A7S. You know what I'm saying? The Sony A7S for, you know... Us that like to geek out about shit. So basically, this is this this camera allow you to travel with less equipment too. I mean, it's the same. This is still DSLR style size. It's just giving you it's giving you some options. You know what I'm saying? And you know, 
they're allowing you to to go 4K externally out of that camera. So they're not only giving you that sensitivity with the low light, they're giving you options, you know what I'm saying, that the biggest cameras would give you. But then they have the other, the bigger camera, the Sony FS7 that just dropped, that's giving you raw outputs. It's giving you, you know what I'm saying, uh, you know, ProRes 422 straight out the back. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, like like I said, that's some geek out shit, but it's giving you options that, you know what I'm saying, the bigger cameras like, you know, uh, the Sony F5 and F55, what they're shooting TV shows with, you know what I'm saying, are giving you. It's, it's the same sensor, you know what I'm saying, for those who listen, it's kind of like having the same engine, you know what I mean? It's kind of like when Lexus came out. Right, right, right. You right. had the Mercedes Benz that, you know, it's hundred thousand. You had all these options. Then the Lexus came and gave you them same options in a seventy thousand dollar car. And this is the Sony F S seven. And that one goes for how much? How much the price tag on that? The body is eight thousand, which is which is you know which is which is low compared to in, what, in, yeah yeah to compared to the options that you get. And the lens is another. Then you gotta get the lens, and you know. But a lot of times it's set up the way you can use the lenses that you already have. And this and this and this in your book is game changing. They're changing the game with these cameras. Yeah, these game changing cameras because it's it's putting it's putting the power. It's putting more power in your hand for a, a, a real great price. Now you had like what we're shooting on now. These Black Magics came out a couple years back that that were semi game changing it's just you have it's a lot of things you have to you know what I'm saying manipulate. add on manipulate and then the the, the ergonomics of it was kind of weird so it, it puts you in a position where it's best suited for certain kind of environments like you wouldn't want to go running and gunning with a black magic because of the memory thing that you had to put in the battery don't last as long and it's just it's just not set up for you to hold like that so it was it gave you options. It gave you a better picture. Then they came with the 4K version, which for a very low price, like $4,000 or some shit like that. But again, it's for certain environments. It's for certain kind of shooting. But what I'm talking about with these other joints, you could go anywhere with these motherfuckers. That's what I'm you saying. Running That's and what I'm gunning, saying. You know what I'm saying? You running and gunning. If you, even if you're doing like, like sports sideline shit, y'all, you just change the lens and you set up for that shit. You know what I'm saying? If if you're doing running and gunning documentary style, you set up for it. If you're doing film shit, you just throw your PL mount on and, you know what I'm saying, your rods, and then you set up for that. So they're giving you something that's – they're giving you more options. Um, what I was going to ask you, so basically um, hardware matters. Is basically what you're saying, basically. The, the equipment you have at, matters just at, as much at as – a, At a certain level, you know what I'm saying? But that is is not – Equipment is not a precursor to telling your story. You know what I mean? You could tell your story with anything. It's people out there telling stories with nothing. You know what I mean? So you just have to have the ability, the, the willingness to put your story together and something to kind of document it with creativity. You know what I mean? It's people that's using. I mean, you you can use anything, man. It's all this shit. Yeah, all this no, shit. What I'm talking about, like you know, what I'm saying you don't need all this fancy shit. I need it for business. You know what I'm saying, but not for storytelling. For business, and you have clients who have who want you to have certain options or who want to do certain types of things. You want to be able to do them. You want to have the tools to do them. But when you're talking about telling stories, you can tell that shit with anything. 
I mean, have you always been this, uh, this, uh, I, I, I love when people of color have a sense of geekdom about them. <laughs> it's the think? best. We, we I've, I've been we, a geek, we, we. I've been a geek my whole life, dog. And, and I've always feel like within my community, I was looked as an oddity. Mm-hmm. Like I was always the person they turned to for like anything that's geek geeked out. Like mm-hmm. I was, I was never the player. I was never the smooth talker. Mm-hmm. Bad at bagging chicks. You know what I mean? I wasn't never that. But I was that dude they would come to. Like yo, Vlad, uh, how do you uh Right, 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 right. You know how do you uh you know put this hard drive da 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 da. And I, w- I just, I would just know. Right. Did you ever feel you strike me as a geek? Were you always a geek growing up? Like are you like always just fascinated with like learning the nuances or something? Of course. I mean, but you know, it's twenty four hours in a day, right? And you have various aspects of your life. And I understand very early about how to move in different environments. So you go to school and you, you know what I'm saying? My dad was a teacher, so I could not come home with grades, you know what I'm saying? So I'm going to get grades. That, that, was, that was a no-brain. We're going to do that. You know what I'm saying? But I'm also trying to talk to the chicks, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to hang out in the streets. I was terrible at that. You know what I'm saying? And then when I get home, you know what I'm saying, since my pops, he was a street-wise ahead of the curve. You know what I'm saying? He had a, a head of a curveness about himself. So he always gave you tools that put you in a different space. So when everybody got, you know, the Atari. 2600. I had the Atari 2600. But when everybody got the 5200. <clears throat> Changed the game. He bought, he bought us an Atari XL, 800 XL, which was a computer. So it wasn't the fucking shit with all the games. It was the shit where you could build games. It was, you know what I'm saying? It was like one of like the first PCs, you know, you plug it into the TV and it had color graphics and shit. You know what I'm saying? Your dad was like, you know what? Exactly. That. So he, he put you in position. You know what I'm saying? So it's really just the tools that you have and you're trying to figure out how to work them. And anybody, if you give somebody some tools, they're going to try to figure out what to do with it. You know what I'm saying? If you drop iPads off into a village that never had electricity, they're going to try to figure, well, what the fuck is this? You know what I'm saying? You come back, they'll be doing some different shit with it than you thought. So it's the same thing. So given, given you know, saying Atari 800XL, now you are talking to a different group of people. So the other kids that had an 800XL were more geeked out about it. And this was... The early, early, early days before this shit was called the internet when you had the phone and you put the shit on and shit like this and they had to <laughs> and you run your parents' phone bill up and shit to download the Bruce Lee game because that's the only way you was going to get it. And then you put it on a big-ass five-inch floppy. So you've been hacking since... You, you've it, been was, it wasn't a hack. It was just that's how you had to get it. You know what I'm saying? So me and my man Steve Hamilton, <laughs> he actually lives in New York now too. He had a Commodore 64, but, you know what I'm saying, and the modem. He had the modem. I didn't have the modem on mine. So Steve was, Steve, Steve, Steve was ahead of Steve, Steve had the modem, so we'd go to Steve's house, and his mother let him do that shit and download all the games. And then you t- put it on the disc and take it home, and I got the Bruce Lee, and then everybody like, what the fuck is Bruce Lee? Yeah. You know, I got that Bruce Lee. Got the Bruce Lee. So, you know what I'm saying, I guess that's where it started. That's how you, you, know, you start just thinking different about shit. Um, I, do you, do you think the I think do you think the internet has definitely assisted geekdom within people of color? Like I feel like I don't know what this geekdom thing is. I think it's you I know think for me. I think it's the same as saying you, you you at the Latin comedy night. No, I think for me growing up, it was like uh, it was like the when hip hop first came out. It was the '90s, right? You had Nas, you had Wu Tang Clan. Mm-hmm. It, it had a lot of equity in the community that you had swag. You had like you know kind of uh, 
uh, hard bodiness about you. Mm-hmm. I feel like now the times have changed where people definitely notice that if you know how to manipulate a computer, if you have certain expertise, certain things, it, ca- it actually has cachet in the hood now. People right. look at you like, yo, you got that. That dude is cool now. Right. I mean, that's but that's always been the case, man. You get good at anything, and then, you know what I'm saying. You're gonna get some type of you know what I'm saying approval. Like, I mean, nerds might not have got approval from the masses, but within their community. You know what I'm saying? They were swagged out. Because you, know you had to play ball when I was growing up. My, in my segment of the, the neighborhood, you had to you had to hoop a little bit at least. Right. Now I feel like, you know, you see kids walk right, right by the basketball court. They just they done to other stuff now. Right. I mean, I, I think it's just, it's it's always been there. Right. Some people, some people mask it because, you know what I'm saying, they don't want to be ostracized. There's certain people that know how to move without being ostracized. You know what I'm saying? So, like myself. You know what I mean? I, I discovered... On the Jordan twos, that if you had the Jordans, you know what I'm saying, people's gonna give you a, a benefit of the doubt, regardless. <laughs> Period. Like you know, no matter where you went, you could go in the hood, you could go in the suburbs, you could go around the hardwood, yeah, yeah. Wherever you go, like uh, Jordan twos, you got the Jordans. You know what I'm saying? So you know what I'm saying. A lot of this shit is a motherfucking masquerade. It's a fucking costume party. You know what I mean? And those labels and all that shit, it fits along right aside this costume party. You, some you could go buy you some glasses, some some wide rim glasses, and you know what I'm saying, dress a certain way and and read up a, on a bunch of shit and consider yourself a geek. So to fit into this you know line of of you know action that's going on, but maybe you want to. You want to progress more in that space, and you know, in the, in the app space, in the internet space, and, and capture some of that that equity. You know what I'm saying? But I, you, any anybody can fucking do that shit. Huh? I, I just find it. I find it culturally like when I was growing up. I remember like, and then, you know, I was a counselor for a couple of years for high school students. I remember there was like almost like a sense of shame about being too intellectual. You right. know, now with the advent, everybody has a cell phone now. I just see youth, like even kids in my, my neighborhood, like when I was growing mm-hmm. up in the Bronx, like there's more of a um, okayness about being sophisticated about technology. Like it's just more accepted. Because that's going to be the only yeah, way. Yeah, man. For them, that, see, like when you're young, you know what I'm saying, technology is your great escape from whatever your mama talking about, whatever the teacher's talking about. The technology is telling you exactly what what's going on in your space. It's the same with music was with us. No matter what your parents was fucking saying, music was your escape. You know what I'm saying? You listen to the music and be like, yeah, and then you vibe with other people that's listening to the same music and be like, you know, that's what it is. You know what I mean? So the technology then is okay. It went from you know eight track to cassette to vinyl to you know what I mean to the CD. I got the CD. You know, so it was hip even then. To be up on your technology and to be faster than everybody else, you know what I mean? It's just now the technology, it it, it to manipulate it, it takes a little more skill to actually develop for it. You know what I'm saying? You have to learn languages and do shit. You know what I mean? And the more you're able to manipulate this and be a part of the overall conversation, the better it gets. You know what I'm saying? So for them, this is baseline. Technology is baseline for them, like a fucking turntable was for us. But it was a certain time when somebody had a turntable. It was like, oh shit, he's a beast. This motherfucker got the five thousand yeah. dollar Macintosh turntable in this motherfucker with the big speakers, Easy. big tower speakers. Like that shit was you was ahead of the fucking curve. It's nothing. <laughs> 
But I, I just find I was I watched some I watched some young some it was like a Latino dude in the, on the on the train the other day and he was he was kicking into his homies and I was like damn mm-hmm. like this is cool like he's able he's and it's they, they were loving it you know right. it was like it was like back in the day you had to be you had to have a at least when I was growing up you had to have a certain different it was think the cachet was in different pockets right in different pockets but but I would say this you know what I'm saying even in the hood like you know what I'm saying the deepest of the hood the technology when I was growing up with audio systems like I say with music. Like it's cats that could rig audio systems up like a motherfucker. Right, right, they ain't right, graduate right. high school or no shit, but they understand the engineering of how uh-huh. to make. That's when we was talking about Disco Dave. Disco Dave was like a hood genius, but he had he was cool. He was a DJ, but he was hooking up all of the sound for everybody car to make to make it clear and with the bass and the mids and the highs. You know what I'm saying? You had the kid on the block who had, when the boxes was out, you know what I'm saying, knew how to rig his box up so his speakers pumped louder than the next man. You know what I'm saying? And my cousin Chip, he as hood as it get. You know what I'm saying? DJ Chip, man, in Miami. But he's the one that everybody goes to to build the speakers that sound louder than the ones you buy at the store. He has a little extra boost. Yeah, exactly. He He's, he's engineering a cabinet. That gives you extra bass. Is Chip? Chip man. Down down in uh, Florida. Miami. He he he's, he what, he he's he's still doing it. He's out there selling. Yeah, it. he's he's out there still doing it. Are yeah. we ever gonna get under the shadow of Disco Dave? I think we're always gonna be under under that shadow of Disco Dave. Disco Dave was always gonna have a presence. Disco Dave, 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 <laughs> Dave, Dave. Dave. <laughs> what else is going on, Ali? Ah uh, man, that's it, man. You know, um, we we we're. In the um, process of buying that equipment, uh, building out some new shows, uh, how my son has a basketball game tonight. Oh, good luck you to him, man. It's, it's, it's interesting because this particular game is the school that was recruiting him, but was slow to pull the trigger. Ah. So we went with another school, and uh, so it's his, it's his chance to show them. Oh, so this game has context. This yeah, game this has game has a lot of context to it, so it's going to be exciting. <laughs> And uh, when you go, you front row seat or you you ever first? I don't like to sit too low. This shit hurt my back, <laughs> so I sit up at the top. <laughs> you, you know, in a, in a high school, bleach is only about eight. Absolutely, rows. absolutely. <laughs> and and you get you get this you get there super early. You get there when he gets there. Or you get there like later. No, no, no. I get there when it's time for the game. Nah, that's what's up, man. I like that. Yeah, they don't let you in the, in the gym super early. Did you watch the Ohio game yesterday? The, the nah, man. I was at the Rob Hardy's um, amazing stories, right. um, but I was following on the phone. Ohio State got in that ass, and there was some white ratchetness going on out there, boy. They were burning stuff. It was, it was that's that's what white ratchet. It's always do. a joy to watch white ratchetness. It's always saying, a pleasure. They don't talk about it, but that's what oh, white, ra- white ratchet being full of fat. cops were out there pepper spraying people. Yeah, the thing of beauty out there. You know what I'm saying? Just yeah, well, you know what I'm saying. That's what happens. I keep that in the archive. They happy, ri- they happy yeah, they riding. Yeah, happy riding. That's you know what, what they saying? do. Football games matter. Football <laughs> <laughs> games matter. <laughs> Well, you know, I think OSU has the biggest stadium in the, like one of the biggest stadiums in the nation. So yeah. yeah, it was packed out. I mean, dude. it's a football town. I mean, this is, it's Ohio. You know what I'm saying? And that has been a football culture for a long time. Um, you know, my family's from from my dad's from Cleveland, so I spent a lot of time in Cleveland every summer. But you know, what I'm saying I, I couldn't. Um, I never forgave Ohio State when they robbed University of Miami. Ah, oh. like 2001, whatever that year was. It was a bad, bad, bad deal, bad call and shit. So, you think it was karma, karma coming back to bite Miami though? What karma? 
you guys with the bad boys for a long time, man. That's University of Miami. That what what Karma got to do with that's guys, football. You supposed to piss, play football. You supposed a lot of people you're though, supposed man. To, yeah, winning. You know what I'm saying? Pissing you're supposed, off a lot of people back then. Supposed to though. win. That's what the fuck happens when you it's win. It's a great thirty for thirty. Have you seen it? Yeah, of course I seen. Oh, it. it was awesome. It was amazing. You know what I'm saying? Of course I seen it. Do you? I mean, the University of Miami basically was ingrained in the fabric of Miami culture. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, if you had, if you were, you know what I'm saying, you, everybody was a fan, but it was a certain way. Like, if you was a real, real gangster thug, like, you know what I'm saying, you have on camouflage before it was fashionable and your UM jersey. You know what I'm saying? And then when cats leave Miami and go out of town, you know what I'm saying, if there's always a segment of cats who always go to a town and terrorize it because they're from Miami. You know what I'm saying? Because that's just how Miami do. You know what I'm saying? They they felt like they had they had the juice, they had the power. We going in, fuck shit up. Kind of like New York cats do when they go to North Carolina. Or right. So and when you be out of town, you always you know, you know when those cats show up, you always they always have on their UM hat. So it always became a term like, oh yeah, he was out of town with his UM hat on. That mean he was acting a damn fool. <laughs> But it was, UM was, you know what I'm saying, they basically was a product of the time. The time, right. The a lot of guys came from the hood in Miami, played on that team, and it was the 80s. It was the crack era. It was very aggressive. Luke was rapping. It was very aggressive, very, very fast-paced times. And, you know what I'm saying, everybody was making money and kicking ass, so... That's what <laughs> that's what you yeah, that's know what stood for. That's what Miami stands for right now. Make some money, kick some ass. <laughs> <laughs> A national model. That's what's up, man. So Ali, yeah. what what was what was going on this week, man? anything else cooking up this week? Uh this week, uh we got a couple of shoots and then um what we got? Oh we I got a we got a plan for All Star. Got a big, big All Star weekend, so um shooting a lot of documentary stuff during All Star. So we got to get All-Star set weekend? up for that. It's like February 12th, okay. like 10th, like right. 12th, 13th, 14th, like around Valentine's Day. So we um we doing some some following, some, you know what I'm saying, behind the scenes stuff with different people. We doing, you know what I'm saying, some storytelling just on the overall environment around All-Star. And then we have some client work with uh with Miller Coors. Love it, man. Love yeah. it. So that's, that's we getting ready for that. That's, that's the big thing. We got a lot of, you know, small stuff coming, but that's the big stuff. And about the also stuff, are you, are you going to be shooting with the new equipment about at that time? Um, that's the plan. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what's up, man. Well, me, I, check me out laughingblind.com. I got my dates up there. I'll be at the Stan Comedy Club tomorrow night. But my other dates are up there. Uh, stay tuned, y'all. Stay classy. and uh, Stay in the conversation. That's right. Follow us on iTunes. Follow us on uh, SoundCloud. SoundCloud. Go hit that Facebook. I'm going to put up the Death Row documentary. What else I got? What else we We got about? Death Row documentary. We got to put up uh, maybe a quick little link to one of the cameras maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll put up some of that stuff. Some of that yeah, Listen, man, we love geekdom here, man. I'm a geek. I'm, I'm going to start laying that out. I'm coming out the geek closet. I'm yeah, coming out. No doubt, man. Ain't no need to hide in it. You know what I mean? You know what I'm tired but, of hiding, Ali. But, you know, no matter what closet you in, you know what I'm saying, just stay like smart. Megahertz. Stay smart. Stay researching. Stay understanding where you at. Holla. Peace.